To be honest, it all comes back to just being back in the kitchen and happy. <laughs> My life's the kitchen. I just, I love it. I, I don't know how to explain that to anybody else, but I think if you know people that I've worked with, they know if you're looking for me, you know where to find me. That's in the kitchen. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We've seen the culinary synergies with Japanese and French cookery in some of our best restaurants like Tetsuya's and Sepia, to name a few. But outside the big cities, it's not that common. What does this precise and informed approach to cookery look like in a regional seaside town and in a small hotel too? David Tinker is the chef and owner of the Sandbar in Batesman's Bay. David, how are you? Oh, good, thank you, Anthony. Thanks for having me on. It's awesome to have you on the show. Batemans Bay is um, a fascinating place. It's like a, a go-to for so many uh, holiday uh, people, particularly from Canberra and um, and north up in Sydney. Um, what's it like at the moment? Uh, Batemans Bay is pretty much the same as it's always been. It's, it's home for me. Uh, it's always been there for me. Uh, we still have plenty of local support. Uh, obviously, we've tried to do something pretty different in a small town, but uh, yeah, uh, tourism and the locals are like uh, what really keeps us going. Well, it really um, packs out as the temperature gets warmer. What's it like being a, a resident of Batemans Bay and seeing it swell um, in the warmer seasons? Uh, yeah, uh, you have to sort of go from feast to famine really you mm. have to be ready to to deal with that that onslaught that comes with the peak seasons but having a restaurant that sort of provides well for my family and and for my staff it really needs to be a year-round restaurant yeah. you can't really just bank on a big peak season to to get you through you you really need to uh be there um, and support your locals and, and, and they support you and and that's your lifeline. Well, you're making a bit of a name for yourself there and particularly um, chefs are sort of um, pointing towards what you're doing there and um, I want to explore that in detail but take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family? Okay, so food for me at an early age was all about family time. Uh, I grew up in a small village just on the outside of Batemans Bay. It's called South Durris and my parents had moved there when I was very young, more or less to live the coastal life and enjoy nature and all that kind of thing. And to be honest, we didn't have much as a kid. But what we did have was the beach and the lake and and family time and I have my first interest sort of with cooking came from uh, well my father was a boilermaker in the city and he couldn't stand it and where we are in Durris and he picked up some jobs <laughs> some work as a kitchen hand and he used to come home and and um, tell me all about how exciting the kitchen was and and food and, and all that stuff. And, and we didn't really have much at home, but we'd, I just, you know, with what we had, uh, 
we'd cook and we'd spend time together in the kitchen and that's where I really got got interested in food it was just it was more about like just spending that simple time with with family at home it was comforting and with what little we had actually you could actually make something that was pretty exciting and I just that's when I really I knew like from an early age, like the age of like eight years old, I was saying to mum and dad, I'm going to be a chef. <laughs> like, oh, all right, is that what you really want to do? And then sort of from there, <clears throat> I remember one year, my mother came home with a, a, a LaRousse gastronomic and dad and I just used to go through it in the kitchen each afternoon and we'd have a look at what we had and we'd find something in there and we'd just try and make something from that book with whatever we had. And, yeah, that's, that's how I got into it. Wow, that's amazing. Is there, is there any dish or sort of a moment that you remember, like cooking out of that, that cookbook with your dad that you can tell us about? Yeah, I remember the, one of the first things we made was like um, cocker van, uh, and, you know, I'd never tried anything like that before, but, you know, it's, it's classic French cookery and, you know, yeah, just, just fell in love from the beginning. Take us back to that sort of first time you started working in a commercial kitchen. Where, where did you get your, your sort of foot through the door? Uh, a friend of my father's was a chef and he knew I was keen to get into the kitchen and I was in high school, like, I was in year eight and he'd opened a restaurant here in Batemans Bay and they needed lots of staff and casuals and juniors and whatever. And my old man was like, oh, you know, there's the offer there. Do you want to go and have a look? And I was like, hell yeah. And and um, from there, like, like this was when I was in year eight, I, I went in and I used to do Thursday night after school Friday night after school <laughs> and then I'd work all day Saturday and then I'd work Sunday and then it was back to school and I was just like I really just want to be in the kitchen like I loved it <laughs> it's just where I wanted to be and then from there just <sighs> sort of halfway through year 10 my parents sort of had a chat with me and I said like obviously they you love what you're doing uh, you know, have you really thought about it? And I said, you know, I want to be an apprentice chef. Obviously, I'm, I've already been doing it for a couple of years while I'm at school. And, and yeah, my parents had a chat. We, we had a chat and next minute I'm an apprentice and absolutely loving it. And then from there, I ended up in uh, Borley Plank Guesthouse, which was a uh, little guest house, it's about 40 minutes from the bay and I just got my tea so I thought, oh, well, I can drive there and I went and had a chat with them and uh, there was a French chef in the kitchen and he had long grey hair and he used to put feathers in his hair. He was real eccentric and he was like, hey, do you want to give it a go? And I was like, yeah, you know, I couldn't believe the opportunity I had and I remember the first day... 
I walked in there and he goes, oh, that's the, that's the oven. And it was a wood-fired oven. Like, that's all they had. And he goes, your first job's to cut kindling. And I'm just like, and it wasn't just like, I don't know, like you see fire in kitchens now, it's a bit of a, a fad, but like back then it was like your first job's to chop the wood and get the oven going because that's the oven. <laughs> and, and yeah, I spent some, a couple of years there, uh, which I really enjoyed. Uh, but I knew if I wanted to sort of move on in my career, the next step was head for the big smoke. So I just wrote a letter to a few top restaurants in Sydney and one day the phone rang and my mum answered it and she's lip read to me, Serge Dansrose on the fucking phone. <laughs> I was like, oh dear, here we go. So got on the phone and next minute my old man made me get dressed up in a suit and take an empty briefcase to apply for this job at Bayless Pavilion. And we had a chat and he offered me a, a job and he said, you, you'll have to start on, on breakfast, you know, at the bottom of the run in the cafe and I couldn't wait. So I found myself an apartment to live and packed up, moved out of home, off I went. Yeah. What was it like for you at that age, having grown up, you know, on the south coast of New South Wales and now in, in Sydney and in a, an ins such an inspirational restaurant as well? What was it like for you? Uh, it was scary as hell, but I wanted to be there. <laughs> uh, I just really wanted to be there. And then once I got into the kitchen, I thought, oh, there's no way you can tell you these guys you've been chopping wood and Baldy Point. Um but I just put my head down and uh, got accepted by the team because obviously if you're keen and you turn up with a smile on your face and, and ready to do some hard work, you know the boys will, will back you up and, and you know, you, you become part of the team and once you're part of the team, you can grow from there. That place is like, that was the ultimate training ground really for me, coming from here, going in there. It's just, it's all there. It's brand new. It's... You've got a pastry kitchen, you've got the restaurant on the other side, which I ended up being sous chef in the restaurant after yeah. my time. Um, it was just, it was awesome. Like, my eyes were just wide open. I couldn't believe I was in this environment. I just felt so lucky, and I just wanted to do the best that I could. Take us back into that kitchen. You spent quite a bit of time there. Do you have any stories of, you know, the influence it had on you and, and what you took from those experiences? Uh, yeah, I just remember being on the breakfast and uh, sort of finishing my breakfast chef and, and the prep and I just didn't want to go home. Uh, I just loved being there and I just used to, when I'd finished and I was ready for the next day and it was time to sort of pack up and get out of, the, out of there, I'd go and hustle the chef to parties that were on the pans doing lunch and dinner to see if they needed any prep for the next day. And, of course, they had a list as long as their arm, and they were like, well, you sure you don't want to go home? you got breakfast in the morning. I was like, no, I'd prefer to stay. Um, so they just give me more work to do. And then one day towards the end of breakfast, 
I packed everything up and I started to get ready for the next day and one of the boys, Tomo, he just turned around and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm getting ready for tomorrow. He said, no, you're not. You're calling the pans for lunch. I was like, righto. And that was it. I never went back to breakfast and then I was <laughs> dropping pans in the cafe with the big boys. I was still I was still a commie, like just after my apprenticeship and I was... <laughs> lucky enough to get, get a shot at one of the chef de parties roles on the pans and then same thing I did that for a few months and one day Phil just came up to me and said um, you've had the call up from Top Gun Maverick you're going into the restaurant <laughs> and I was like all right <laughs> I can't wait but I was terrified uh, yeah and walked into there and I turned around and there was no one else on this on the section at the end of the kitchen and I knew that was the fish section even though I'd never worked there and the chef de cuisine said you're on the fish tonight and same story, here we go again. And then uh, 12 months later I was getting promoted to sous chef of the restaurant when it had two hats and I was, I'd only just turned 20 years old. Um, yeah, it was it was unreal. I, I don't think I've ever had a, that sort of experience in my life. <laughs> well, well, Serge and Bathers had such a huge impact on the dining landscape in Sydney. What was so special about it for you? Uh, for me, just being in Sydney, working in a restaurant with that reputation uh, and kind of just, you know, coming from down here, Mm. Uh, self-pride satisfaction I really love to be there uh, and he really I didn't really notice at the time but Serge really looked after me and, and mentored me and gave me a lot of opportunities that a lot of others didn't get it was so exciting Where did your time um, at Bathers come to an end and where did it lead to? Uh so I'd spent four years there and obviously I just had a, a, a want to go off and, and really learn more of my trade uh, and, you know, I'd heard stories of what London was like and that really sounded like a place that I wanted to check it out and, and I got there and I thought, well, I didn't really know where I wanted to go. And I started to, I picked up a Michelin guide and I read about Sketch and Pierre Garnier. And I just remember the second line that said Master Chef Pierre Garnier and it said technical wizardry. And I just thought to myself, oh, geez, that sounds exactly what you charge the travel to the other side of the world for. So, and then it had a number for to make a reservation and I just thought you know what give it a shot I just rang that number and they answered and I said uh, can I speak to the chef <laughs> and they said yeah and they put me and they're hugging you hold for a second and they put me through to the kitchen and I just said look I'm Dave I've got a working holiday visa I've just arrived can I do a trial and the chef said be here tomorrow morning wow yeah how different was the kitchen there compared to what you were used to uh well, a lot bigger again. Uh, same really high standard, big team. Uh, but then with the food, 
when Garnier gets in there and, and lets loose, it's, it's a pretty hectic environment. Uh, everything's changing all the time. He's one of those guys that when he's in the kitchen, no two plates go out the same. He's constantly, constantly, constantly changing things. He's, he's, always, he's always pushing himself to, to get more from the food. Uh, oh, it's just incredible. Like, they call him the jazz man and you can sort of get that understanding. Like everyone's like they're playing the same song, but he just goes off on this little <laughs> venture on his own and he stays in tune, but it's just he's constantly changing things and yeah, it's just incredible to see the way that he works. He's not one of those chefs that sit in the office, he's and he's never on the pass. He he's just always on the stoves, on the section, just he's like the world's craziest chef to party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Pierre Gagné's influence is incredible. What, what sort of impact did he have on your thoughts about your own cookery and the path that you took from there? Well, he sort of gives you the tools and the freedom not to be afraid and not to try new things and, you know, to respect tradition. Mm. But always he's always looking for that emotion that excitement and and like a free spirit and i think if there's anything that that you'd want to get from working from pierre garnier is is that uh the spirit the spirit and the freedom and and not being afraid to to try and taste and do new things what happened um after your time there was it long before you came back to Australia? Uh, I came back to Australia because towards the end of my time there, I'd met my wife who's, who's Japanese and she was pregnant at the time. So I thought, well, we both thought starting a family in London would be pretty difficult and that's what we really wanted to do. So. I said, let's go back to Bateman's Bay if you'd like to. And she said, she said, yeah. And, and, and we came back home and, and we had our first child and I had a job, um, which after working with all that time with Serge Danzaro and Peg Onier, that was kind of really really exciting and I enjoyed it and it was kind of everything to me in my heart and soul that was you know having wanted to be in the kitchen as a kid and then I came back and well like I said I I had a job and but I kind of felt like I was flicking steaks for a salary or something I I wasn't I wasn't happy inside and then I did that for a couple of years actually and I didn't notice I didn't notice what was happening but inside I was devastated um, I had a wife I had a child and my wife was pregnant with our second one along the way but I had this huge hole in my stomach which wasn't going to go anywhere and 
after a, after a while, my wife just said to me one day, look, I want you to go and talk to somebody. And, and I did. And I went and this is kind of how Samba sort of came about. It was, it was about a, me being happy to do what I'm doing and support for my family. And I just remember I, I spoke to a doctor and then he said, oh, I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you to go straight and talk to him at the Batemans Bay Hospital. And I went and had a chat there. And I'm talking to them. And then from there it went to, we want you to do a video conference to a specialist. And I went there. And then it went from that to the white coat came back and said, I'm sorry to do this to you, but I need to take away your civil rights to basically be here for you, you need help. Um, and from there, um, there was a lot of tears uh, and I had to go for a couple of months and stay in, uh, I had to stay in a mental health thing, uh, hospital where you walk in and they take your shoelaces and you're locked up, but they're there for you. They're there to help you. Um, so I did that uh, and spent a few months. And you know, I had to, I had to be on medication and all that kind of stuff. And then once it was time to, you know, I'd, I'd spent a lot of time with them, and we just talked about cooking and all that kind of stuff. And I think they. They made me realise that it's still there. Um, you don't need to be, or you can, you, you can heal from this. And I came back home, and I didn't jump straight back into the kitchen. I had a bit of time off, and I was walking down the street, and a friend of mine said to me, "What are you doing?" And I was thinking of you the other day. There's a, there's this motel down on Beach Road, it's getting renovated. It's got a kitchen in there. Uh, why don't you go and have a chat with the owners because they didn't really sound too interested in doing a restaurant. So I came and had a chat and he asked me where I've been and what I'd done and actually he was really interested. And he said, look, if I had a thought you were knocking on the door asking me to cater for a motel, I would have said, you know, don't bother, you won't make it. He said, but what you're talking about sounds pretty interesting. I think if you try something different in a small community, which isn't really happening yet, you might just make it if you're willing enough to have a go. And I was like, hell yeah. Um, and he gave me six months rent free to have a crack at doing, you know, this kind of Japanese French inspired restaurant, which really was all about me being happy doing the food that I loved again. I, you know, I had my wife who's Japanese. I was so interested in her side, the Japanese cuisine. I'd always worked with the French chefs. I knew I loved it. So I thought this was going to be, I thought this sounded right for me. It sounded like everything that I love, plus a kitchen, plus a restaurant, and I can have a go on my own, even though I'm in, I'm in Batemans Bay. Uh, I can try and make a restaurant that I really love and provide for my family and, 
and make it my home. And that's that's really what Sandbar is to me. Uh, mental health issues in the industry are, are very common, but it takes a, a lot for someone to take the steps that you took to sort of um, find help. Um, what sort of advice would you have for, for someone that, you know, might have some issues but needs some help to, to walk through the door like you did? Uh, just talk, just listen. Uh, it's okay to be be upset, I guess, or have that sort of hole in your stomach. Um, you soon realise uh, there's so many people there to help you that you don't even know they exist. Like, as soon as you open your mouth and they think that you're in any kind of trouble, there's so many people that are there to help you and and just just welcome it and you never know. Like, when you come out of it, you're in a better place. Um, instead of going off on your own and maybe just letting it stew inside your stomach or or whatever, you just, yeah, open up. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't feel embarrassed. I think it took me four years to really, it took me four years to say anything. But as soon as I did, I found myself in a world of people that are only there to listen and, and help. And then from there, uh, opportunities just came that I didn't know existed. I'm fascinated by... Um what you've created with the Japanese and French technique. You had that really solid foundation with French cookery and that love and interest with Japanese cuisine. Take us on a, on a journey of, of working with those two different cuisines and, and what it was like for you. Uh, so for me, uh, Japanese, French is like, I never really wanted it to be a fusion sort of experiment. For me, I sort of really saw it as a way to to work seasonally, use a lot more fruit and vegetables, and it kind of made French cuisine for me a lot lighter. It's kind of like the lighter version of French cuisine to me. T tell us about... Um producers of the region and, and your approach with, with your food? Is, is there um, a dish or two that sort of exemplifies your approach that you can tell us about? Uh, there's plenty of local producers. There's, there's some unique things that a lot of people sort of weren't really using when I, I first started. That's like a local sea urchin. Uh, I, and I love the sea urchin and I got involved in that and from there, I thought, oh, because I'm doing a tasting menu, you you can't really just be strong-headed and say, you know, we're going to do do this, like it or not. You still you still need to please or try and please as many of your guests as you can. With you know, obviously, there's there's no choice involved. So I thought, how can I use sea urchin, but in a creative way and in a way that maybe most people can approach it so it was around Christmas time I decided to do a sea urchin and plum sake ice cream but use that as a first course as a savory for the restaurant and that was really exciting because it was different it was Japanese but French 
and a lot of the guests, some of them didn't really say, or some of them were, you know, that sea urchin wasn't their first go-to, but they'd, they'd eat sea urchin ice cream, but as a savoury in the restaurant, and then they'd come and tell you how much they like it. So, yeah, that, for me, that was, that was fun. What's been some of the um, really surprising things about creating, you know, such a high level of offering for a regional town that it hadn't had before? Um, what surprised you about the journey so far of the Samba? Uh, I was really surprised that it sort of took off the way it did because uh, it was pretty out there and I wasn't doing the norm and you don't really think, oh, yeah, are people going to take sort of this idea how they're going to take it, you don't really know what to expect. But because it was that opportunity in my life where it was have a go on your own now and and do it to, to you know, you're in the kitchen because you love it and, and do what you love. And then all of a sudden you've got a restaurant full of people in a small town like Bateman's Bay lining up for you know, crazy David Tinker's Japanese French tasting menu. And, I, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, to this day, we still laugh. Um, and my, and my dad must. <laughs> You've reignited your passion with the sandbar. How does it make you feel when you're, you're in the kitchen and cooking for guests? Oh, I absolutely love it. And the fact that like when I started, it was just my wife and I, and, that was another reason why I thought I could do a tasting menu too because there was no way I was going to try and do a la carte on my own. So I could set myself up and I'd have a chance on my own of doing a set menu. Um, but now, you know, I've got full-time employees, which is, which is great. So it gives me more room to move and, and try new things, more help. Uh, and just to see it as a little business that doesn't just provide for my family and more it's um you know it provides for so many more too well you're creating something pretty special in and regional uh, australia and really gone out on a, on a on a whim and um put your heart on your sleeve and it's it's showing with amazing sort of feedback and uh, interest what, what do you love about what you do uh to be honest it all comes back to just being back in the kitchen and happy <laughs> My, my life's the kitchen. I just, I love it. I, I don't know how to explain that to anybody else, but I think if you know people that I've worked with, they know if you're looking for me, you know where to find me. That's in the kitchen because that's where I love to be. Uh, doing a restaurant and all that kind of stuff, it wasn't really the dream, but the dream is for me to be able to do what I do and and be happy and, and try new things and and provide for my family. That's what it is, yeah. Well, David, congratulations on what you and your wife have built in Batemans Bay there at the Sandbar. It's been an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Oh, thank you very much, Anthony. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast. 
or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.